Um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Most you, we will have most of the verses up there this morning. Um, but if you need one, Ed has one there. And we're continuing to go through this passage, uh, Luke 11, if you want to turn there, on the Lord's Prayer. And the, if, if, when we repeat the Lord's Prayer in a moment, I'm going to ask you guys to repeat it. Um, it is a slightly different version than you're going to see in the New King James Bible you were just passed out. So as I mentioned in week one, if you weren't here, kind of using the more traditional model, um, Abby and Leah helped us with that last week. Good job. But this week, we're going to see if they all know it. Because I know you, you've been trying to get them to, on board with you, right? To learn it. So hopefully the adults are going to have it too. But we, we're in Luke 11. And again, most of you guys are very familiar with this verse because we've spent five weeks on it now. Or will spend five weeks. But um, I think each time we're going to get a different facet. We're looking at a different petition, a different aspect to this prayer and what it means. And so if you haven't been with us, let's just set the backdrop. In verse 1 of Luke 11, it says this. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And so this question is really starting off with the disciples of Jesus are saying, John taught his disciples, teach us. Teach us just like John's disciples. We, we, we want our own prayer, if you will. Right? We, we want to know that we're doing it the right way. John was uh, doing these things and almost feeling like maybe John's disciples were a little ahead of them. So teach us that we may pray and, and probably seeing their prayers. Probably seeing the power in John's disciples' prayers. And so they're wanting something like that, something with depth, something with power, right? That they could go and pray. But Jesus said, um, says this, and would you guys try to your best to, to repeat it with me as we say the Our Father. This is how he teaches them to pray. He said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we'll stop there. Um, so there's a postscript, but I've been teaching the kids just to get through that part on evil, so we won't confuse them. Um, so a beautiful prayer. But not just a beautiful prayer, but a meaningful one. Uh, that the Lord is trying to take them and show them it's not just by the power of this outward prayer, but on really the things we are praying for. So let's pray this morning. Father, we pray that indeed you may not only teach us how to pray and teach us how to memorize these verses, but that from the depth of our soul we would know them and not only know them, but understand their true meaning. That we would learn not only to say them, but how to say it, what to ask for, and when to ask for it, Lord. So continue to open your word to our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today we're looking at this uh, fifth petition, which is, give us this day our daily bread. Who in here likes bread? 
If you guys have never had uh, Rudy Lister's sourdough bread, you are missing out. Okay, so some of you guys, maybe that can be like a, maybe that can be like a caveat for our next gathering. It'll be like free bread for the first 20 attendees or something. But we don't think of bread as like a meal today, right? It's just like, I, I got, we got all this other stuff with it. But in that day, bread was the main, the core sustenance of, of all they had. And after having Rudy's bread, I can understand it. I could probably live off that for a while. But I wanted to start off with a story this morning. Uh, I, I heard a professor once share of him sharing with a student. He was a college professor, and he was a Christian college professor, and he shared with a Jewish student the gospel. And after sharing the gospel with uh, this student, um, the student accepted Christ. And so he challenged the student to go to a local church that was known for its good biblical-based teaching, expository preaching, meaning they preached through the text, right? So he thought that the student would grow and be happy there in this church. Now remember, coming from a Jewish background, he knew nothing of the Gospels and nothing of Christianity. But as he began to read through the Bible and then also go to this church, he, when asked by the professor a few months later, uh, how things are going at the church, this was his reply. You know, if you, the student says this, you know, if you put a committee, or if you put together a committee and ask them to take the Beatitudes and create a religion that contradicted every one of them, you'd come pretty close to what I'm hearing down there at that church. Whereas Jesus said, blessed are the poor, down there they make it clear that it is the rich who are blessed. Where Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn, but the people at the church have a religion that promises happiness with no sufferings or crucifixions. Whereas Jesus talked about the meek being blessed, they talk as if they took assertiveness training courses. Jesus may have talked about the merciful and peacemakers, but those people are the most enthusiastic supporters of American military, militarism, militarism that I have ever met. Jesus may have lifted up those who endured persecution because they dared to embrace a radical gospel, but that church declares a gospel that espouses middle-class success and affirms a lifestyle marked by social prestige. End quote. So you can see the problem, right? I don't know where this church is at, but you can see the problem there if somebody's coming in, reading the gospels, but seeing a contradiction, which that is being portrayed or being said. There's a quote here by Sir and Kierkegaard, which might be a bit of a hyperbole, but he says this, If you mean by Christian what the Sermon on the Mount says about being a Christian, then in any time in history, there might be four or five such persons who would have the right to call themselves Christians. And so, uh, that's a, as I said, maybe a bit of a hyperbole, or perhaps he's going much too uh, strict on his interpretation of what a Christian is. But it, it, it shows, right, it calls at the heart of if we're really weighing what we say and do by the Scriptures, right? And not just the Sermon on the Mount, because the Scriptures are far beyond that, right? So if we really weigh our, our life uh, on all of the Scripture, not just the red letters, but the black as well, we, we realize we all have a lot of growing to do a lot uh, to learn, and a lot to apply to our lives. 
Now, in looking at this petition, give us our daily bread, um, we're going to see an aspect of what we should pray for, how we should pray for it, of looking at what we call temporal means or temporal blessings, things that God gives us here on earth. Uh, Sometimes we only think God gives spiritual things, but as we'll see today, God can give temporal things, but ultimately we're to use them for his glory or to use them in a way that our lives glorify God. So the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, Lord's Day 50, says this. uh, What does the fourth petition mean? And in fact, why don't we read this together? Give us this day... Can you go to the next slide? Or a couple slides over. Pass that one. There we go. Let's read this together. Give us this day our daily bread means do take care of all our physical needs so that we come to know that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our work and worry nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. And so help us to give up our trust in creatures and trust in you alone. Amen. Amen. And so when we ask, when we're asking the Lord, you know, give us our daily bread, we're not just saying feed us, which is the most core basic human need, it is. We're saying, Lord, give us provision, give us the ability to eat, the ability to survive. And bread here is... uh, really a metaphor, just a symbol, um, a literary symbol for all of our needs. This is often, uh, this is often the case in, in, in Hebrew culture, right? They use a, a, one thing to represent the whole. So the, the term bread here is not just, bre- just give us bread. That's all we should pray for is bread, right? Or even say maybe bread represents food. We're, we're talking about all of our physical needs, all of our uh, temporal needs, Everything we need here in this life. Um, and we're asking that we would rely on God to get, not only grant that to us, but that we'd realize it is indeed God that grants us to, that to us. Not our own work, not our own doing, not our own wisdom, not our own strength or hard work, but God even gives us the ability to work hard, to have a physical enabled body to work and make money and do these things, Right? And so let's look at a few passages that also deal with this topic, a few other ones. So if you'd put up Matthew 6 for us, it says this, in, this, uh, in 6.24, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And the rhetorical question there is, no, we can't. We can't, right? We we got to, we realize it's all in trusting God. And then we'll continue reading. And I know we've read this verse before, but just to ingrain it in our minds. So verse 28, and why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was just like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given as to you as be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so we live in an age where the world really wants us to worry about tomorrow, really wants to think and plan for tomorrow. Uh, I don't go a day, right? So being in, in, in the workplace, at the school, there's not a day that doesn't go by where I get some email about 401k planning or this type of retirement or make sure you could live the good life, you know, when you retire. Or, yeah. uh, so there's all these things that in our mind that are trying to get us to think about tomorrow. And we don't want to be foolish. We don't want to be just like, hey, I'm not going to even worry about if I have a job. I'm just going to keep asking Rudy for, to bake some bread for me, right? We don't, so, so it's not that we're not concerned for the future, or that we shouldn't take steps, uh, you know, meet, reasonable steps, uh, uh, you know, that we budget or make sure there's some money in the bank for a rainy day. But, but it has to be done with, with God in mind. With, so, so a lot of times what happens is people are putting that before trusting in God. They're saying, well, uh, I've had, I've even had people tell me, you know, but at this point in my life, I really don't have time for church. I got to really work and save up and work overtime on the weekends. And once I get enough money saved, then I can really devote my life to the Lord and devote my life to church. But, you know, then when it's sitting in the bank and getting interest, then, then, I, then I can have time for these things. And the reality is always the same for these people is that you're never going to have enough. You're never going to save enough. You're never going to get to that point where you can say, I'm just going to kick back and be able to do what I want to do. Because you're always going to think you need more. And they're probably right. With the rates of inflation, you probably will need more than you thought you did. But the reality is that we're trusting in God, whether we're in a time of inflation or not, right? Whether in a time of need or want or great wealth, we're trusting in God to provide all things for our future. And as it says, to seek first the kingdom of God in that provision... And he'll take care of our needs. He will. So, so we want to take care of our needs. We want to plan for the future. We want to know everything and make sure nothing unexpected hits us. But it's impossible, right? Man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. There are ultimately things outside of our control. And the sooner we realize that and submit to, to that and trust in the Lord in that, the quicker we're going to just be a lot more content in life. The, 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 the sooner we're going to be a lot uh, more content in just being able to sit and be with the Lord and to praise Him and to just trust in Him and be uh, more Martha's rather than, than Mary's, right? Running around trying to get everything done. <laughs> Psalm 37 says this, 37.16 says, Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. Now, I don't know if you ask most people in the world today would you rather have wealth or righteousness? I don't know that many would say righteousness, you know. Or even Christians, they'd probably say, well, I can get the righteousness on my own. Give me the money and I'll work on the righteousness part of my own, right? <laughs> the money is a lot harder to get. But the reality is the righteousness is a lot harder to get because there's nothing you could do to be righteous, right? It has to be done for you by Christ. And even trusting in Christ, right, is a lot harder than... Uh, than Ralph, right? To trust him in every aspect of your life, to just let every facet of your being given over to him. It sounds easy, but when we really look at the depth of 
everything we think, say, and do, uh, our will and emotions, right? Are we, are we truly giving every part of our being to him? It's easier to just work and make money because, you know, you clock in, you clock out. Whereas with the Lord, it's 24-7, living for him and dying to self. James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So where do these good gifts come from? From God, right? And I remember being in college with a person that that was just like, you know, it's not that I'm against God and all that, but I just, I don't want to have to rely on anybody for anything. I just want to do it myself. I'm not going to be against God. I'm not going to ask God for anything. I just want to be able to know that I provide it, you know, and that I worked hard. Um, And really, that doesn't seem like blasphemy, but it's the ultimate, right, blasphemy. It's, It's not realizing, as I said, that God has given you even the ability to work. There are many who are in wheelchairs who can't work or in countries that, are, that don't have jobs to work, right? A lot of able-bodied people that don't have opportunity. And so all these things we take for granted, especially as Americans, right? I mean, we have the sky's the limit, as they say, right? You could be an astronaut if you, if you want to be all these things that people want to be, but the reality is, is even if we do those things, apart from the blessing of God, they're all meaningless, Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And it's very easy, right, to get caught up in the love of money. Very easy to get caught up in the love of things, even when we don't realize it. It's very easy to just keep up with the Joneses, as they say, right? Of wanting to uh, keep up with the people around us. There's a term in, in sociological circles that's kind of, kind of become popular in the last 25 years, and that is that of relative poverty. Okay, so poverty used to be a standard definition. People that, you know, live, make below this amount and don't have running water and food and clothing. Right? But there's a new term called relative poverty. And to give you an example that a professor in college used, it was that, you know, he's like, I lived in Beverly Hills and was making about $500,000 a year, but I lived in a block with millionaires. And then my neighbor, you know, spent a million dollars on his son's first birthday party. You know, so he said, relative to them, I was impoverished, right? I felt very poor because I couldn't blow a million dollars on anyone's party, let alone a one-year-old who doesn't even understand what's going on, right? But people begin to identify and feel themselves as oppressed or feel themselves as it's unfair. I, I don't have as much as them, and, right? And so even though 500000 is quite a bit of money, you start to take on the identity of someone impoverished, someone with less than, of, of, of starting to envy what... People have around you, you know, like I have a Mercedes, but they have a Tesla and a Lamborghini, right? You know, like I'm, I'm here on the bottom of the totem pole. And so it's very much just like him as us as we, we can, you know, we're not, we're, not comparing our, we're not comparing ourselves to the people in Rwanda, let's say, right? We're not saying, let's see what we have compared to that. No, we're, we're comparing ourselves to what we see on television or especially today with the Internet. So I don't think we have more of a, 
more of a discontent time in human history than now, simply because of the, the wealth of information and, and, and advertising and sensory input that we have, not only through television, but through the internet, right? So we're constantly, uh, I, I remember growing up, right? If, if you grew up in the 80s, you probably had like a, a car poster on your wall, like a Lamborghini Countach picture, you know, poster or something, or like everybody wanted, you know, this like, like Lamborghini, but I never saw one, right? You know, I, mean, I just, just saw it in a magazine and your friends would talk about it. And if you actually did see one, you'd be like, whoa, we got to see one, you know? But now, you know, you talk to the kids in high school and like, they're just, they know everything about them because they're seeing them on YouTube and, and, and they go, and they know kids living here in Paris that, that have Lamborghinis, right? And you're just like, what? How do, how do like 20-year-olds have Lamborghinis, you know? And they're like, oh, they sell a lot of drugs. Oh, okay, it makes sense. But, but the idea is that they're, they're, they're being exposed to this, you know? People living out here, you're like, what? How, how, how's that even possible? But, and so they're being fed a very materialistic culture, a very, and, that, and there's always been this, right? So it's not like this is anything new, but to the level, right, where we, we can just go and look at anywhere in the world and be like, oh, man, I want to live on the shores of Italy, and I want to, you know, uh, drive this kind of car, and I want to live in this type of house, and there's all this virtual stimuli coming at us over and over, day after day. Uh, did I have the wrong verse there? Oh, I might have, I might have posted it wrong, but uh, there, is a, there is a verse that says that. <laughs> the, uh, oh, I think that's actually Timothy, I'm sorry. <clears throat> and do I, I might have it up there later. The, but the point being is a lot of times we're comparing ourselves to, to others rather than being content with what God has given us. So let's look now, let's turn to why we should pray for temporal blessings. So I've, I think we have five or six things, six things here, that why we should pray for these temple blessings. So again, I said all this of what I just said a moment ago to preface and say, our focus is not to be on temporal things. Our focus is not to be on just the blessings or material things here and now. Okay, We should seek spiritual things. But the point of the catechism that we read and even the verse at large in the Lord's Prayer, this petition of give us our daily bread, is a, is a prayer for physical things. So there is the reality that we need these things and we should pray for them. So long as we don't idolize them, spend our, our mind and time and love and passion towards them, they are uh, things we should pray for. So long as they're within the will of God and they're things that are actual needs versus wants, right? You guys know the script. So the first one. Uh, why should we pray for these temporal or physical? These, and they're called temporal because they're not going to last. They're not going to last for eternity, right? That bread I eat today, it's gone five minutes later. So it's temporary. So why should we pray for it? One, on the account of the command of God. God tells us that we should pray for these things. So we should. Secondly, on the account of the divine promise. So we pray for these things because he promises to meet our need. So we don't just take that for granted. We don't say, hey, it says in Matthew there that he provides for birds, and birds just sit there and sing all day, so I'm going to kick back and <laughs> let him provide for me too. That's not Jesus' point. He's saying he's providing for these things, but for us who seek first the kingdom, how much more will he provide? So we need to seek the kingdom, and we need to pray for these things, not taking them for granted. Otherwise, we're just like the world. Third, on account of the glory of God, so that when we pray for something and, we, and the Lord grants it to us, that we may give the Lord glory for getting it and not anyone else. 
Fourthly, on account of our own comfort, right? Sometimes if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, if your air conditioning goes out in the summertime, you're in discomfort. And in some countries, they don't even have, it, have AC at all, you know? And so we're just like, how could you live like that? Right? But, but the idea is that the Lord tells us to pray for things, even these things that are temporal, that aren't eternal, but for our own comfort, that we may, again, thank God, glorify God, trust in the promises of God, and understand that he's commanded these things. Fifth, and lastly here, is on account of our own necessity, and that we are able to do the will of God on earth. And I think this is probably the most important one. I came across a video uh, a few weeks back, um, and it seemed to be biblical, because we even read a verse this morning. Uh, Pastor Rudy read a verse and shared about just selling your possessions, right? And, and giving them away. And that's where we store up treasure in heaven. And so the guy was just like, look, if you really want to really be a Christian, the video was saying, what you need to do is stop going to church, sell all your possessions, and give them all away, and then just walk around the street telling people about Jesus. That's a summary of, of the video. And it's really, there wasn't much more to it than that. So I mean, sometimes you kind of oversimplify things. That, that's not really oversimplifying it. He was just kind of, the rest of the video was just kind of giving a justification why. Um, and it misses the point. Again, it sounds holy, right? Just sell a yacht and then just go around and, and tell people about Jesus. But one of the biggest problems it poses, I mean, I, I wrote a quite large response to it, but I'm not going to go through the entire response, but one of the biggest problems it poses is this, that we need resources to do the work of God on earth. Okay? Now, all of us can go and sell all of our possessions right now and go down to this homeless camp and just give it all to them. And you know what's going to happen? Those guys are going to become millionaires, have houses, start businesses, and do things to glorify God, right? <laughs> that's, that's our hope. Sometimes that's what we think, right? If we just did more, then everybody would be in a better place. Without a transforming and thinking, right, or of life, What's going to happen is they're probably going to blow through that money so fast, we'd be like, how did you? I can't even spend it that fast, and I have bills, right? You know. Uh, and a few of you guys know what I'm talking about. A few of you guys have been there. So it's, it is important to give, and even to homeless people, right? They have real needs. But we shouldn't think if somehow we just threw a million dollars at somebody, their life's going to be better, and they're going to be in a better place. Because, again, if they're... If their heart's not changed, if their mind's not changed, uh, if they're not living for the glory of God, it's, it's going to end badly. It does end badly. And so we, we need to pray for the Lord would give us good jobs, give us homes, give us cars, give us money, so that we may do the will of God on earth, right? So it's not for our own doing, right? It's not, hey, I got this nice house, so look at it. But if you have a nice house, guess what you get to do? You get to open that house and invite people over and be able to minister to, to people in the church, right? And if you have money to buy food and know how to cook, you get to cook people in the church. And if you got a car, you get to pick people up and drive them all around, right? So, so, so a lot of times people say, yeah, I'm not going uh, to, that's, that's you know, I'm not going to spend my own gas. You know, just, that, that's, I work hard for that money, right? And that's, so that's the wrong type of thinking. So it's not wrong to say, hey, uh, 
I want to work hard and I want to get money. But it should be for God's glory, not for our own and not for our own wealth. So that's where I think each person, each Christian, has to really challenge himself. Because it's not like we could say, this house, holy, this house, unholy. This car, holy, this car, unholy. This amount spent, right? We, we got to avoid those type of things because that's what often happens, right? You know, if you drive a Honda, that's holy. If you drive a Beamer, you're probably in trouble, right? You know? <laughs> but, you know, I've also seen, I remember working at Denny's, you know, you got... Guys making fifteen hundred bucks a, a, a month, and they have a thousand dollar car payment, you know. And you're just like, you know, all you got is gas money left. You're like, yeah, I just I just eat at work here, so I don't, you know. So that's probably not being a wise steward of your money, right? You know. Likewise, you know, if uh, if you're like Tony here, and you, you know, you buy an old BMW for two thousand dollars, like that's a lot cheaper than most of your guys' Hondas. You know what I mean? So that's a good move, Tony. So don't we can't judge people based off of brand or amount spent or this and that, but it's each person having to ultimately judge, you know, how are they using their resources. And ultimately, each person is accountable uh, to God for it. But we got to avoid the thinking that also says, you know, as, as you've seen probably on some nice Mercedes or Rolls Royces out there, you know, you'll just see like blessed, you know, and they'll, God bless me with this, you know, and it, it, it gives the impression that if, if, if you're a Christian, God's going to bless you with a Rolls Royce or as one of the old faith preachers said, make Jesus your choice and you'll drive a Rolls Royce. <laughs> That's a true quote. And he basically, and, and the idea is there, the holier you get to God, the more temporal blessings he's going to give to you. So everybody comes and listens to you and tries to get as holy as you, right? And you get a big church that way, but you don't get a lot of holy people that way, right? You just get people that are trying to get nice cars and things. But that's not what it's about. Um... Zacharias Ursinus says this. He's the writer of the Heidelberg Catechism, commenting on this, on the Lord's Prayer, says this. To this end, that we may in the use of these things serve God and our neighbor, and not that they may contribute to our central desire. And so, ultimately, to sum that up, he's saying that God gives us money, God gives us things for our neighbor, to love God and neighbor, and not just for our own sensory experience, okay? And, and that's what we could, you know, central desire is something of our own want and need, or maybe not need, just of our own want. <clears throat> to quote uh, John Gill, he says this, it is said to be daily bread and to be asked for day by day, which suggests the uncertainty of life, strikes it all anxious and immoderate cares for Tomorrow, or tomorrow, is designed to restrain from covetousness and to keep up the duty of prayer and constant dependence on God, whom we must every day ask to give us our daily bread. For he is the sole author of all mercies, which are all his free gifts. We deserve nothing at his hands. Wherefore, we ought to be thankful for what we have without murmuring, at his provinces, or envying what he bestows on others. First Timothy, we'll close with this verse, First Timothy 6.6. 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, 
and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. When we think of money, we don't think of many griefs, do we? But that's the reality. That's the reality. With more money becomes more things, comes more responsibility, comes more time. I remember a pastor who, was, who, had, who had his own business and he had become quite wealthy. And that when a lottery was really big, like up to like 300 million or something, something crazy like that, everybody was playing and everybody was making posts about it. And I bought 10 tickets today and I hope I win. And I remember this pastor said to one of his friends, he commented on the thread, um, uh, why would you ever want that kind of money? You know how happy you would be? And uh, again, coming from someone who had money, you know, and he, he was saying, you know, take it from me, your life is uh, much more complicated. Your relationships will take much more of a burden. Uh, and ultimately, your desires and time and focus will be much harder uh, to devote to the Lord. Now, obviously, as I said already, we need money. And there's that balance between working and using it for God's glory and having our life focused on it and and. and getting wrapped up in, in making it or using it for our own intents and purposes. But what I want to just end with this morning, you know, is that we rely on God. Whether we have a job right now, whether we don't have a job right now. Let's pray for those things, right? Let's pray he'll meet our needs. If we have our needs met, let's pray he'll help us use what we have more for his kingdom, more for his glory. Uh, so some of us are just praying just to get by. Others of us are thankful the Lord has provided. But wherever we're at, let's ask, how can I better serve you, Lord? How can I better serve your kingdom? How can I better serve my, uh, uh, how can I better give of my time, my talents, my treasures or, or resources unto you? For ultimately, the Lord gave all unto us. Right? He held back nothing. He went to the cross, paid the penalty for our sins, lived the perfect life in our place, that we may be his people. So how could we ever repay? We can't. Right? How could we ever give too much? We can't. And so before we take communion, let's go ahead and pray. And let's take a moment before I even pray, just to seek the Lord. Uh, Go before him, to ask him to check our hearts, check our minds, check our emotions of what is really on our thoughts, of what is really on our heart, what's where our true master is at. So let's just take a moment of silence and then I'll pray. Father, we pray, Lord, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, that you would help us to trust in you, help us to trust for your daily provision, help us to trust, most importantly, in your Son, Christ Jesus, that we would see all good things in him.
all that we need in him and provide for those other things that are temporal in our lives. May uh, we use it for your glory and for your kingdom. Uh, as we take communion now, Lord, and even before we take communion, as we pass around the offering, may you allow us as a church not only to give, but to use what you give to our church uh, for your name. May we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, both as individuals and, and as a people, as a church before you. We pray that that would be not only our heart, but that that would be a reality and where we're at and who we are. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.